prayer. As the words have just passed through our lips that we do not know if it's going to be through the fire or through the flood, but that the path you lead us on, that you are going with us. Dear Holy Father, we just pray that we would be people that are faithful, that we would stand and understand fully what you've called us to be. As we open your word today, we're going to be reminded again and again that there's many things that are so clear from your word, yet because of sin we have rejected these things and have tried to go our own way only to our own peril. So help us. We desperately need it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, one of the things that, uh, that Pastor Caleb and I get the privilege of doing is we try to sit down and go through different, like, what are we going to preach in the sermons and when we're going to preach them and trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, basically, March 1st was when we started through our journey through the book of Genesis here, and we were just plotting along through it. And um, what we're going to talk about today, there is, in God and His sovereignty, had to start the foundation of marriage on the day after I gave away my oldest daughter. And... That's God at work, not me saying when these things are going to be. And so I'll try to get through some of this because, you know, it's, you know, it's like it's right there in front of you. There you go. You blink and all of a sudden they're 18 and off and you're like, what just happened? And uh, like even this morning, I woke up and what did that really just happen yesterday? All right. And you're like, all right. And we continue on. And um, there's a lot of things that God teaches you about trust that you don't realize until you're there. So if you've ever had to sit there and go like, there they go. You know, like, there they really go. Like, we're not going to check to see if my daughter gave herself the shot of insulin that she needed when she needed it. Good luck, good luck Michael. I hope you bring her back alive in a week or two, you know? And in your brain, you're like, what is going on here? You know, and all of these things where you're going, do I really trust God and His sovereign plan in the affairs of this world and even in my own life. Because we say, we, oh yeah, we're going to trust about the God who holds tomorrow. But we're like, we really want to hold it too. And so as we're about ready to start this journey, I want to say to you, God has placed these things in our lives for us to learn more about Him. And may we not miss those when we see weddings and everything else that go on. So that was totally for free. So we're going to start the sermon now. Because what we're going to see now over the next several weeks, what we're going to look about, what we're going to talk about, I pray will be very beneficial for us as the family of CBC. Because we're, what we're about to talk about, and from the lens of Scripture that we're about to look through, the things we're going to talk about are not the majority-held view, sadly, of many in Christianity. Sadly, what we're going to talk about is the minority view. And literally, within the sound of my Marshfield Stratford voice, if you could hear me pronounce that loud, there will be many people who will stand up and claim the name of Christ that will be teaching not only against what I'm teaching about, but the exact opposite in saying that this is what Scripture says. And not only that, if you were to take some of the things we're going to talk about today and go out into the marketplace and even say them, people will mock you and say you're bigoted, backwoods, or whatever you're clinging to, or anything else like that, you will be mocked and ridiculed as some far-out, right-winged person. And we go, I don't care how winged you are, we need to be people of the Word. And what the Word of God says is what we do. We don't follow political figures, we don't follow the fads of this world, we follow the Word of God. And my call as a pastor 
And the call on the leadership of CBC is to not allow popularity or ridicule to determine what is taught. So when you're going through the book of Genesis and we talk about the roles of men and women, we're going to talk about the roles of men and women. There were actually the sheer fact that there are roles of men and women or fighting words all throughout Christianity and fighting words all throughout our society. The fact that there even is a call to different genders and all these things we're going to walk through. I do not have the privilege of just ignoring these things. One of the joys, but also one of the struggles it's of working verse by verse through a book is guess what you're going to talk about next week? The next couple verses. Hopefully you've seen since we've been in March, it shouldn't surprise you where we are next week. All right, but as we walk through this, though, here's what I want to make sure that we understand, that we are bound to give you the Word of God, not to avoid it, not to say we're not going to talk about this no matter what. It's in the Scripture, so we're going to talk about it. So now, here's what can happen, though, because we love to be pendulum swingers, right? We can say, well, we hold the minority view on this, and the world hates us, and all of a sudden pride and arrogance comes in as if we haven't figured out. All right, what I would love to say to you is, as much as I can, church, and I'm talking not just large church, I'm talking CBC, we do not, in its fullest, understand marriage. We do not get it, because I've watched all of us, and I'm even calling myself how we interact in our marriages, how we even talk about marriages, how we understand marriage to be. We don't get it, but our goal is to do what? to get it and never stop studying it and never stop digging into it because when as we understand marriage, we'll understand the relationship of Christ and his church and we'll also understand how we are called to live. But this is what we must fight for. We must never think to the point you've ever arrived in this area or anything else. So let's look at the text here. Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 21. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God firmed every, formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens brought to them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. Now... The title of this is The Foundation of Marriage. In the upcoming weeks, we will look at all the other roles, all the other things that are going on, but we must first understand the foundation. We must understand it completely. Because remember, and hopefully this will be a line that you will be able to repeat in your sleep, that everything God does is perfect and completely wise and is the fittest means to accomplish what He has decreed. By the way, that's going to be a fill-in-the-blank for this until... Probably, probably every sermon from whatever we do now, because every sermon reminds us that what God is doing, He is doing it, and it is perfect, and it is wise, and it is the best thing for you. Because everything God does is literally for your good and His glory. It's interesting, this last week, I hardly ever do anything on the social media world, and in the social media world, that phrase I saw being placed out, and in the social media world, someone responded, no, 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 God didn't do that, man did. And then we go like, oh, so now we're picking certain things that God does and man doesn't do, and we're like, oh, I didn't know, I thought literally God is the one who does it all, but hey, we, got, we struggle with that, don't we? So when we say that everything God does is perfectly and completely wise and the fittest means to accomplish what he has decreed, that means by definition God does not do things randomly. 
So if God does not do things randomly, everything he does do is done for a purpose for us to learn from. He never, we never in Scripture ever see that at the end of something, God looks back and goes, wow, that turned out better than I had hoped. Now, we as humans do that all the time. I mean, like just this last, yesterday, we're sitting there going, I hope this wedding like happens and I hope everything goes well. And then we're like, wow, that turned out even better than we had thought. God does not act like that or think that way because everything he has decreed, he knows that it will take place. So when we come even to the order of creation, if God does not do anything randomly, everything he does do then is for us to learn from. So even the order of when he creates and how he creates. So give me an example. You'll see that in your notes there. And these are just summary statements of things we've already talked about, but I want to try to compile them. Man, Adam, is created first. That is something that we need to understand. It's something we need to be clear on, that man is created first. And man, in his being created first, man is given a command. And what is the command that man is given? You can eat out of every tree, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is given to Adam. And also then is the responsibility given to Adam. If the command is given to Adam, the responsibility is given to Adam to pass on to this helper that's going to be given to him. And if you just see as the text goes on, in theory, that would be to pass on to all the future generations because the command is given to Adam that you can eat of anything you want, just not this. And now here is the responsibility as well. Not only that, Adam is given the moral pattern of the garden. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. The moral pattern is given to Adam to be the one that is setting the pattern of how the garden is going to function. Like, here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. And even adding to that, man is given the call. Adam is given the call to protect the garden. With all those things being laid out in front of us, from that, and you're going to see Paul in other passages we'll talk about in the future weeks, Paul using these as reference points to why he says certain things about the roles of men and women. These are not just random things that happened when God was creating. He was creating these for a purpose to teach us things. And so what we see in front of us here, though, is a pretty interesting situation. So we're reading through, let's go to verse 18. Notice this, the Lord has been speaking. The Lord is saying, let this happen, let this happen. You can do this, you can't do this. And all of a sudden, we come to a phrase. And when you see phrases that are repeated, and all of a sudden you see a phrase that completely out of the ordinary, you are to stop. Because up until now, we've had, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And now all of a sudden, we get a phrase that you're about ready, you should say, and the Lord said, it is good, but there's a problem there. The Lord says, it is what? It is not good. When we see the phrase, it is not good, immediately a reader of the word of God should pause and go, what's not good? Because, you, I mean, spoiler alert, Genesis 3 is happening where we have a lot of the fall, all right? But up until now, we don't know that yet, all right? So everything's going really good, right? Everything's going along well, and now we get to it's not good, and we go, well, what's not good? What's going on? There's a problem here. And the issue is that man is alone. Now, notice who says this. Adam does not say this. God, the Creator, says this because God knows Adam and God also knows what is good for Adam and what is not good for Adam. The Creator is telling the creature what is going on. Not the creature telling the Creator, hey, let me tell you what's not good. 
Adam is being told by God, it is not good for you to be alone. Adam, actually God knows Adam better than even Adam knows Adam. Because Adam is created by God. And why is it not good that man should be alone? The question should be in front of us. Why is it not good? And the answer is, they just come right out of the, the passage of Scripture. Because God has called man to be fruitful, and he cannot be fruitful alone. It's a command, be fruitful and multiply, and Adam cannot be fruitful on his own. He must need help. Also, Adam cannot experience marriage alone. Man cannot complete his job without a helper. Now, while that is still ringing in our ears, let's make sure we understand this clearly. Adam is not in need of help because of the design flaw of God. Adam is not in need of help because of the design flaw of God. That means man is not designed flawed and he needs a helper. This is literally what God has designed men and women to be in relationship with one another. God made mankind in the male-female relationship. You see that in Genesis 1, 27-28, where He creates man, and He creates them what? Male and female in relationship with one another. And the reason why they are in relationship, one of the reasons they are in relationship, is because they are image-bearers, reflector of God, who is in relationship in the Trinity. And mankind is created in that same relationship, male and female relationship. They literally interact together with one another in this relationship that God has called us into. Now, we want to be clear on this. Matthew Henry, on his commentary on this, said, This was not done for Adam's comfort, but because Adam was created as a social being to function in the female and male relationship. I love what he puts here, solitude would have made paradise a desert because Adam was created to be in relationship with Eve. Now, I want to take a moment here. As we're reading through the text, right, we see here in verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. All right. Then all of a sudden you would expect verse 19 to here's what's going on. All right. But in verse 19 through 20, Adam's naming animals. And then in verse 21, you get back to the solving the issue. In grammar and anything else in the Bible, this is what we would call an A-B-A format. A is not good, the man should be alone, and the answer for it is a couple verses later. All right, and so then you have to ask yourselves, what's the middle story about? And if you've ever watched an old Western, they do the same thing. If you, you're, you know, you're at the ranch, right? Then all of a sudden you go out into the field where something happens and how do they bring you back? Meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? And there's supposed to be to the, even the watcher of the movie that what happened out here is not just random. This is part of the whole story going along. When the Bible does that, this is when we sit up and go, well, what does Adam, not good the man should be alone, what's up with naming animals and what are we supposed to learn? Because we go right back to it again in verse 21. So we have to pause here and say, remember, everything God does is the fittest and completest way to do things. And so he is not going, hey, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. Before we get to that, one more thing. Let's name the animals and then we'll worry about you. This is not what's going on here. What's going on here is God, the great teacher, is teaching Adam. So what does he have him do? Name the animals. Here again, we see that God is giving Adam an overseeing task. 
because Adam is an image bearer of God, what has God been doing all up until now? Naming things. Why? Because he is the creator of all things. He is the one that names things. And now he says to his image bearer, I'm going to give you a task. I'm going to give you a privilege to do. Man, and what you're going to do is you're going to name animals, showing Adam's oversight of these animals, showing also that Adam is not an, uh, just a hairless ape. He is literally totally different than the animal world. He is a human being created in the image of God. We must not forget that small point. That is a huge point. Also, too, here's something also to throw out to you. Adam was given oversight of the garden to rule the garden. Sadly, in our world, when you don't see a difference between animals and humans, now all of a sudden, the woods that I'm about ready to cut down to build my house, I have no right to that differently than the deer running around there. But what God is saying, no, He has given us the earth to use for our glory, for His glory and our benefit. Human beings are not the same as animals, nor should we function like that. Human beings are created in the image of God. So Adam now, as an image bearer, is naming things. As the animals are being named by Adam, what Adam is seeing is that these animals each have a helper uniquely fit for them. They're coming in as male and female in the animal world, each one of them uniquely fitted for what God has called them to do. And as he's seeing these animals come, and as he's watching them, there should be a sense... A building in this. Is Adam going to find a helper among the animals? Is Adam going to find what is needed? Because remember, God told him the issue. The issue is not good that man should be alone. And now as the animals are coming in, there's a sense of we're coming to the end of him naming the animals. Well, what's going to be the answer here? And as the, it is building up, if, if I could right now, it would be like playing that music that gets you to start building up. You think something's going to happen soon type of deal. You should start feeling this in the text. That, in, that we're coming to the crescendo point of it. Because what God is starting to do here is display to Adam Adam's desperate need for a helper. He's starting to show Adam you have a desperate, desperate, desperate need. Because what we're going to see in the text, and I, what I want you to see in the text, is when it comes to this point where it says, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. There was no helper fit for him among the animals. And you should feel a hopelessness at that moment. Where is the helper going to come from? Where is this helpmate that Adam is going to have? And in a way, what you almost see here, and this is, this is my just visualizing the text, Adam turning his face to God with a help look upon it. Because Adam, while he was naming them, the text is also making it sound as if Adam is looking for a helpmate amongst them as well. And what we're going to find is not a single one of the created beings of God are going to be a helper. And Adam now, in a way here, I, I see him in my mind pacing a little bit. Of like, there's no helper here, right? Adam is at a place now to receive that helper that God is going to give him, to truly love and cherish and protect him. And the reason why I feel Adam is pacing, go down to verse 23. How does he start off this poem? He says, this at last is now, and he breaks into poetry. 
What we're seeing is here, as he's been looking, you have this, what's happening here? When am I going to find this helper? And then finally the helper comes, and with great joy he proclaims, finally I have found the helper. Which is interesting now in our ABA argument. Now, what is the solution? Look at the solution, and all we're going to do is look at the first four words of this phrase here in the verse 21. What is the solution? The solution is not this. So Adam made for himself. The solution is not Adam waited long enough and he found one animal that he had never, that he hadn't seen before and he went looking. It doesn't say, so Adam kept looking. What does it say? So the Lord God. The Lord God is acting. Notice that. He does not say to Adam, Adam, you figure this out. I mean, I made so many things for you, Adam. You figure it out, all right? You, you come up with a solution yourself. What do we see here? Adam in his helpless state, unable to find a helper, and these words, so the Lord God, and now he's going to do something. And this is so key to us, because what we're going to start to see here is a beautiful pattern all throughout Scripture is man's helplessness and God the actor. God does not look at helpless man and say, figure it out, nor does he look at helpless Adam and say, figure it out, because what these are are shadows of what is yet to come when one day Paul in Ephesians will pen these words, and he talks about how man who is helpless, in dead, and in sins, in need of a Savior, it doesn't say, but man woke himself up one day. What does it say? But God, who is rich in mercy. God is the one who acts to man's helplessness. These are the things we see all over the place, and this is the beauty of it, even too, as we come to the communion table, because what does the communion table remind us of? Our utter helplessness, and God, the great and wonderful Savior. Now, these patterns that we see all throughout Scripture, could you, I'm encouraging you, church, when you read the Word of God, pause, look at the way the Word of God by the, by the Holy Spirit has been so beautifully written to continually remind us of these patterns, our helplessness, and God the one who acts, and God the one who answers. May we never forget that. And also, too, on a couple words of marriage, when you have those days, and you all know that the Lord has given you a chance to marry those days, where your spouse and you are having that type of a day, where you're both wondering, is it really good, is it really not good that man should be alone? You know, when both of you had your little argument and you're both huffing, walking off the other way, and you're like, you know, life would be a whole lot better without, all right? And I'm saying this in all seriousness, yeah, a little bit humor in that. Do we really believe that it is not good for man to be alone? That literally our helpmate, if God has given us a helpmate, is truly our helpmate? And do we treat them as such with the respect of that, that this is a God-given gift all the time? I mean, because it was easy yesterday for Hannah and Michael to stand there and think, you know, I finally found the one, right? The guy that is going to love me, come, whatever, until all of a sudden, who knows how long it's been until they had their first disagreement, right? And all of a sudden, you're going, do we really believe this? Because do we really believe it? Because what we believe starts to shape how we act, how we talk to one another, how we do all of these things. We will get to Adam and his celebration over his helpmate and the joy that is there. But here's the things that I want to make sure we do not leave here understanding is that the answer to our loneliness, God is the one who answered. 
And why? Because we are created as social beings, and he knows we are created that way because we are image bearers of him in need of fellowship with one another. Isn't it interesting, too, what do we call when we come together as a church around the table? We fellowship together around the table. In a moment here, I'm going to turn it over to to Joe and to the uh, leadership as we break bread, but we're going to end with a song. Grab these already. It's 172 in your songbook. And I just want to pause here and I want to look at the words. Page 172, get it out in a moment here. Russell will come up to, to lead us in that. But before we do that, I'm just going to look at the first line of verse 1. By the way, I would, I would tell you, and, and we've joked about this, this song is so well written that pretty much after we get done singing it, you could go, let's just pass the plate because it so well describes what this is all about. Um, but I think Joe will have one or two more to say before that. But in verse 1, notice this. Remember, what was the line we talked about all the time? Our helplessness, God the actor, right? Our helplessness, God. L- w- verse 1, behold the Lamb who what? Bears our sins away. Notice, it's not us getting our sins away. What is God doing? Bearing our sins away, slain for us. And what is our response to this? Remembering, lest we forget. Lest we think that somehow we did it. Lest Adam think, back to our text again, lest Adam thinks at one time he let God know that he needed a helper. What was God showing him? You can't do it. I must act. We move into the gospel message here. You can't do it. What? God must act. That is why he is the one that is only worthy of our praise. That is why we don't sit here and thank ourselves. We don't pat ourselves on the back and say, what a good boy am I. That is why we sing literally songs, Amazing Grace. Because what is amazing about that grace? That you wretched sinner, all included of us, would be saved by his amazing grace because of what we deserve. Let's close in prayer and then gather around the table. Dearly Father, thank you that you taught us that it was not good for us to be alone and our great need for you to act. Thank you that in the gospel we see that as well, that we could not save or redeem ourselves on our own, that you must act. Thank you for opening our blind eyes. May we never lose the wonder of this table in front of us. We ask these things in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can stand with us as we sing.